everyone. This is the Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that the Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale the nine book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com, under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. I would also like to recommend Stitcher Premium if you're a fan of podcasts. If you like true crime or crime fiction, there are loads of podcasts out there for you. And with Stitcher Premium, you can listen to the exclusive archives from Criminology or bonus episodes from True Crime Garage. You can also listen ad-free to episodes of your favorite podcasts. I've subscribed, and for only $4.99 a month, it's nice to have ad-free entertainment. Just go to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code CRIMECAFE, that's one word, all caps, to try it out. Absolutely free for a month. Hi, everyone. My guest today is the best-selling author of the Van Ops Thriller series. Her first in the series, The Lost Power, has received several awards and, upon its release, was a Barnes & Noble bestseller, Solstice Shadows, also a Barnes & Noble bestseller after its release, as well as an Amazon bestseller, is her latest book. Um, it's a pleasure to introduce my guest, Avanti Centre. Hi, Avanti. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, hi Debbie and everyone who's listening. I'm thrilled to be here to uh to chat a little bit more with an audience that enjoys crime as much as I do in the fiction oh, yeah. sense, of course. Yes. Naturally, of course. Um let's see. You ha- tell us about the Van Ops series. You've been compared to authors like Dan Brown and Clive Cussler. So action-packed might be a good word for it. Action-packed, yes. A lot of readers have said they're literally glued to the edge of their seat. I've had people tell me they are holding their breath, and and, uh, that's fantastic. Um, Yeah, the other two authors that I'm often compared to are James Rollins and Steve Barry. Uh, So it's smart pulp fiction. It's uh, filled with intrigue and history and science and mystery, kind of all wrapped up in a nonstop action package. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I started writing down what your book was like, the first one, and I said, like a travel guide with an adventure story plus mysticism, history, artifact hunting, and spycraft. Pretty much encapsulates it. Yeah, there's uh, I've always been an overachiever. Yeah, I've always (laughs) been an overachiever. And uh, yeah, I I like to um, provide readers with, you know, their money's worth as I'm a reader too. and, And I like books that are richly textured with characters that jump off the page you know and uh and i've always enjoyed uh history and and uh um traveling and cruising to you know places around the world and wanted to include all of that in my books 
Well, you've done very well with that. <laughs> I mean, you've done a great job because Thank I you. was the same way. I was kind of on the edge of my seat reading your, your first book there. And um, your protagonist is Maddie, who is an Aikido expert. I thought that was really cool. What uh, inspired you to create this particular character? Yeah, that's an insightful question, Debbie. And um, I also liked Erica Jensen uh, in in your uh, yeah. I, oh, I just you. read I just read Damaged Goods and really enjoyed her too. Mm. Um, Maddie, uh, they they both meditate. Actually, I was kind of uh, interested to see that um, your character is dealing with some you know deep emotional stuff and uses meditation as a way to to deal with that and. Maddie's got a little bit more of a pedestrian background than Erica does. So Maddie uh, has been an app designer for her job. Uh, she was a, an almost Olympic athlete. So she's got some physical skills. And since high school, she's enjoyed Aikido. And the reason that I chose Aikido is because I see a lot of um, books in our genre where the uh, protagonist is almost callous. You know, oh, bang, bang, I had to shoot somebody again. Oh, well. Well, I wanted somebody that was more morally conflicted about uh, having to um, use violence. And I thought, what's a better conflict? Because great story is all about great conflict, right? So what's better than having somebody who is uh, morally opposed to violence being shot at by Russian snipers? I thought that would be a wonderful setup, and and it turned out really good. The theme of that whole first book is is around um, you know violence and force and what's appropriate to use and what's not in our culture. So I also like having you know bigger themes in my work too. Yeah, so that absolutely. one was a fun one to explore. Yeah, I mean I love love that idea there of using something like Aikido, which does not encourage violence, but responds to it in a sense exactly and uses the violence of somebody else against them isn't that how it works yes i i had the opportunity to study aikido for a little bit uh 20 or so years ago and was just fascinated because it uses the opponent's energy against themselves so if if you've got somebody attacking um you know other martial arts might attack back right but aikido is more about maybe turning and allowing the attacker to you know run into a car or you know they turn and and you're you're able to uh you know put them in a, an arm twist or something like that to 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 use their own energy to bring them um, back into a nonviolent situation. So you're, you're trying to stop them from, you know, their, their own violent thing that they're trying to accomplish. And so that just fascinated me. And um, there's been some, some Aikido masters that are so good at that, at sensing the opponent's energy that they can just kind of step aside and then do like a one finger pin. And it's almost magical what, um, like Steven Seagal is one of these, you know, umpteenth Dan uh, Aikido masters. And it's, it's fascinating that I love doing the research to be able to see what these guys could do with, with energy. Well, I think it's really cool because it just goes to show that, uh, women are capable of taking care of themselves when they oh, know absolutely. this kind of stuff. 
Absolutely. And I wanted to, you know, we've got, again, in our genre, we have a number of um, uh, situations where people have series where there are strong women in there. Um, and we're seeing more in kind of the FBI side of our genre, where you've got a lot of strong female protagonists. But in the action side of our genre, we, we have strong women, but often they're part of a team that's run by strong men. And I wanted to flip that dynamic a little bit and have a team where I had, you know, strong men, you know, love interest for Maddie and her twin brother, but I wanted her to stand on her own uh, and be, you know, a, an integral part of the team. And so, you know, most people when they read it see Maddie as the primary protagonist and the two guys as the secondary protagonists. Um, but I think different readers, you know, relate to different, you know, characters as is often the case. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted, you know, a, a kick-ass female protagonist who could definitely take care of herself. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Um, so I, I thought you did a great job of summing up Lost Power in your guest post. But for anyone who didn't uh, read it, could you give a brief description of the story? Yeah, so I really enjoyed um, all the research for The Lost Power, and it's basically about um, Maddie Marshall, who's our Aikido expert, taking on a sniper, a Russian sniper, and they're racing to try to find Alexander the Great's mysterious Egyptian weapon that has been lost for uh, uh, a millennia. And, you know, you can imagine, gosh, you know, Alexander the Great and what he accomplished and what if he did have a weapon that he found while he was um, taking over Egypt that allowed him to do you know basically he commanded the entire known world at the time and so I kind of take that idea of what if he did have this weapon and what if one of Maddie's ancestors found it um, back a thousand years ago and hid that weapon and then Maddie and Will are thrust into the situation um, where on a foggy nap of morning, uh, they go to their father's place, a vineyard, um, because he's called the, the family there. And all of a sudden, shots ring out and their father is killed. Um, and with his dying breath, he tells them they have to go to an attorney in Sacramento. And she gives them a letter that he had planned for, um, which sets off this entire chain of events where they um, quickly realize that they've been pulled in way over their heads. Because Will's an engineer, Maddie's an app designer, and all of a sudden they're being uh, chased by trained operatives from Russia. It's amazing. It's something else. It's a great story. Um... Did you do a lot of research before you started writing or do you do the research as you're writing? I do both, Debbie. Uh, with the the lost power, I had had the pleasure of traveling all over the world and pulled in a lot of that research that I had done uh, in my um, earlier days when I had done, you know, tremendous amount of traveling. So that fed my story. And I'm a big outliner. And so as I outline, I like to go through and uh, think think through the scenes, you know, I can see them in my head kind of as I jot them down on paper. 
and I like to figure out where are we going, you know, which particular places do does it make most sense for this story to um, to focus on. And I had to do a ton of research about uh, Ramiro the first, who ended up being Maddie and Will's ancestor. So at the outline stage, it for the lost power, it took me well over a year to outline it, get some feedback, go back to the drawing board, redo it. And then as I write chapter by chapter, I tend to get into the nitty gritty, you know, so that's where if a scene is set in, um, in uh, uh, under the streets of Jerusalem, for instance, I'll do some research on those caves that uh, people in the Middle Ages or earlier had used and try to bring in some realistic detail. So I'll do that you know, so there's big picture research at the outline level and then chapter by chapter when I'm in a setting. So if I've never used the particular weapon, for instance, that the antagonist is shooting, I'll, I'll dump into those details at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tend to do the same sort of thing. Do you? Um, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, I won't always be able to anticipate what I need to know. So right. I'll start off with a certain amount of research and then suddenly I'll find myself going, wait a minute, I need to know more about this. Uh -huh. <laughs> so yeah, for sure. And it does sometimes take a lot of research to really understand something. I found that yeah. out the hard way by taking on a, a Marine veteran protagonist uh, <laughs> and never being in the Marines. So I had to learn a lot about uh, military life, but... <laughs> Anyway. You did a great, you did a great job with that though, you know, and Thank I you. had had to, my dad was in the Marines and I had Bear, Maddie's love interest as a Marine. And so it's, um, so I thought you did a, a great job with that, uh, with the realistic struggles that she has. And I have a different character in a story that I'm shopping right now that has PTSD. And I also thought you did a great job with that aspect Thank of her you. life. That's hard to render. Yeah. Thank you so much because I really was, I really didn't want it to be stereotypical, but I wanted to show the pain and, and, and all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's great to know though. Thank you. Um, have you been to all the places that you depict in your book? Books. Most of them. Yeah, I've been I've been to most of them. And what I, I like doing is when I can't go to a particular place, um, it's it's kind of fun how things just sort of work out. So I was working on Solstice Shadows, and I had a, a scene in uh, in a couple scenes in Turkey in Istanbul, and I was at a party back when we could still you know be social, and I ran into somebody who had just been to uh, to Turkey, and I said, well, tell me something interesting about Turkey that I can't get from my online research, and he said, well, you know, besides serving olives for breakfast, he said. Uh, apparently Istanbul is really big for men to have hair transplants. <laughs> he said, so you'll walk around the town and all these guys all over the place have bandages on their heads. And so I love finding those kinds of little realistic details wow. that, that, you know, and so it's, it's fun, you know, how, how I do the research too, when I can't go to a place and, and I've been uh, grateful that people have been unable to tell whether or not I've been to a place. And I think the fact that I traveled all over the world for so many years really um, lets me zero in on those aspects of a place that really make it feel like you're being there. 
Yeah, that's one of the things I love about travel. You really get to be a part of, get immersed in the culture of wherever you're at. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not the accidental tourist, you know, I like to be in there, you know, seeing what yeah. people do, real people hanging out, stuff like that, yeah. just, just observing. What are some of your favorite cultures that you've seen? Is there one in particular that you really liked the best as far as a culture? As far as me, I thought yeah. um, in particular, well, it's funny. I mean, I don't know if I could pick a favorite because everybody's so different and everybody has something to recommend them in a way. Mm -hmm. But yeah. one of the things I noticed about Italy is that the food was fantastic and mm -hmm. they ate late and everybody was real, you know, there's a, a siesta period where they close and in the it's middle just, of the day, yeah. it's, it's kind of laid back. It's kind of, mm -hmm. but at the same time, there's a quickness to it when, when you come to the coffee break stuff, you know, the espresso right. culture. It's mm -hmm. not sit around sipping coffee. It's gulp and it's a go. Drug. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's a drug. It's definitely, yeah. And there Eat was something hit. really, really appealing about the little espresso hits. I love that. And yeah. I love the morning cappuccino. I mean, uh -huh. all that stuff. The food was fabulous. The, the art was fabulous. Everything about it was wonderful. The weather, Italy was wonderful. Rome just blew me away. Um, Florence? Did you make it to Florence? We got to Florence and saw yeah. that. Didn't have as much time there as I would have wanted, but we did get to climb Little Duomo. Mm -hmm. it was like yeah, that was my favorite, that, that dome. Yeah. yeah it's oh like my 462 gosh. steps. And uh -huh. I'm like, can I make it up? And I yeah. did. I did. Uh-huh. Oh, thank God. <laughs> and, um, but then when I went to Ireland, we went to, we did this kind of thing through the UK and Ireland. We started yeah. in Ireland, went to Scotland, then went to England. Mm -hmm. And Ireland, I was just blown away by how friendly everybody was and how, um, how much people love talking about books. Oh. I would say, oh yeah, you know, I, I write m mysteries and, I was at this pub in, in, in Dublin and mm -hmm. it was a restaurant and the waiter is like talking to me and he's like, oh, well, have you read so-and-so and so-and-so? And, -so and, -so? and I'm like, well, no, actually I haven't. And he would just, he was just giving me all these recommendations. I was like, wow, okay. And if this is our waiter, you know? And That's I'm fantastic. Sure, yeah, I mean, I'm sure maybe he was being nice to me because I'm a tourist, I don't know. But everybody there was so nice. And they were so interested in books. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Our next trip, I think, is going to be to the British Isles. We've actually been considering doing that next fall. Yeah, I love, I love everything the, permitting. Yeah, I just love the culture there in, in general. I mean, it was great in Ireland. It was great. I enjoyed Scotland. I mm. enjoyed um, mm -hmm. London. We went to London. I met a reader who I met through blogging. Mm -hmm. in uh, Brentwood, England, which is just mm -hmm. outside of London, kind of mm -hmm. a uh, suburb, so to yeah. speak. And I you know, took the train and just met him. It was like, my husband and I just met this, uh -huh. this guy and his friend. Yeah. And, and uh, we went to a coffee shop. I had coffee. They had tea. Uh -huh. <laughs> a cup <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it was great. It was fun. It's oh, like, 
every single part of it of every trip I've been to has had some kind of interesting cool moment like that you know yeah that's it's, the best part about traveling I think is making those little connections and and to some extent having the awareness that you may never come this way again and so I it, it made it all much more intense I think because it was uh, unique and and so different and you know like little ships passing in the night the people mm -hmm. that that you would meet i remember one time in spain where um a friend and i were traveling and we were backpacking all over europe and we were going from one place in spain to another and um we got into a uh a cabin where you know we had seats that sat across from each other and it was the middle of the day and they they offered us part of their lunch you know and we're like no no you know because we spoke just this much spanish and they were just thrilled that we spoke just a little bit of spanish and so they insisted on sharing their wine and their meal i think they had you know bread and cheese or something and some wine and they were just so warm and so generous and that kind of little moment just has stuck with me about how warm and generous the you know the people that we met were it's great isn't it just getting out there and meeting people like that um yeah let's talk about your second book then solstice shadows solstice uh, shadows yes you delve into the subject of archaeoastronomy is that how it's pronounced? i sure do yeah now there's a subject that probably requires research i assume <laughs> <laughs> I am not an archaeoastronomer, so I created a character who was, and yeah, fascinating. So, you know, for instance, one of the places that I traveled to, um, I don't know, back in 1990-something was uh, Chichen Itza, and I was just fascinated by how these ancient people knew enough to align this pyramid with the stars so that at the equinox, there would be this shadow show of, of light that looked like a serpent wriggling its way down the face of this pyramid. I just thought that was fantastic. And I knew that there were other places around the world that had similar uh, light shows that the ancient people had put together. Mm. And I and I wanted to, uh, similar to, there's a little bit of that in, um, I think it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of the Indiana Jones movies. And and so I wanted to, to play on that a little bit more, but again, with more of a, um, a little bit more depth. And so the reader uh, gets to uh, experience four or five of these places around the globe that have clues that, you know, so we're trying to save the world. Um, the, the item that we're trying to find is a superconductive meteor, and the Russians wish to use the superconductivity from this material to fuel a quantum computer. So I have a background in IT and was also able to use some of that knowledge to make a very realistic threat. And you've probably seen the headlines lately that the Russians have been uh, hacking all kinds of our uh, government systems. Um, in Solstice Shadows, the, the threat is that they're able to do that by using a quantum computer that gives them the keys to the kingdom. And, you know, I've just been looking at the headlines lately and just horrified, shaking my head because having them inside all of our systems is just so horrible. Um, 
but back to the archaeoastronomy, that's a little bit more fun. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I hate it when my threats actually come true because they're meant to be fun scary and not real scary. Uh, but yeah, it's it's neat to uh, to travel the world with our heroes. We get to go to, I mentioned Turkey a little bit earlier. Uh, we get to go to um, the Valley of the Kings, and I can't give away where we end up because you know that that's no fun. But a number of of uh, places that just make for fantastic thriller settings with the atmosphere. I find it's fantastic. Um, I keep thinking, I was going to compare it to um, Indiana Jones, and I'm thinking like uh, Tomb Raider with brains or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> one of one of my um, uh, fellow authors blurbed it and called it a modern Raiders of the Lost Ark. I love that. Yeah, that fit pretty well. Um, you uh, are a plotter by nature, Kurt, and um, so I was wondering, do you anticipate a certain number of books being written in this series? Have you planned it out? I've thought about that, but I don't have a planned end date. Right now I'm working on the third book in the series, and it ties together some of the, it'll be a standalone and it will pull in little tidbits that we've learned about the characters in the past. So that's really fun. I also uh, just completed a, a standalone that um, is, is kind of fun too. That one's about Cleopatra. And this one that I'm uh, working on now for the Van Op series uh, is about Nostradamus. So I like mm -hmm. pulling in these, you know, big historical figures and finding some interesting threats that their life may have, you know, somehow their, their long shadow may be affecting us in, in present day. So I don't know, seven sounds like a good number, but I don't want to commit to that. You know, I kind of know where the characters are going to end up at the end of the series. And I do think there will be an end of series. I know that as much as I love some of my fellow authors, 13, 15 books in the series, I just get a little bit tired. And I think personally, I might get bored if I write more than, I don't know, seven or something, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm just going to take it a book at a time and, and see where, see where the heroes take us. That's awesome. Well, I can't blame you. And I think that uh, uh, Sue Grafton probably came to regret following the alphabet. <laughs> Z is for zombie after reading 26 of these. Yeah. Imagine writing them and trying to be different. Be different each time to do something a little bit different, tweaking right. them somehow to make them. Yeah, I'm big. already having that challenge with just three in the series. It's like, okay, wait, so we did that in The Lost Power, and we did this in Souls to Shadows, and be great to have this, oh, no, wait, we already had that sort of scene, so <laughs> let's come up with something else, and yeah, but, you know, our, our imaginations are unlimited, and um, I'm sure her fans just, it, there's also something comforting about diving into uh, uh, a world that an author has created for you. You know, there's, there's certain authors that I just love looking forward to their next book in the series because it's, uh, you know, I think um, uh, Greg Hurwitz, for instance, just does a fantastic job with the Orphan X series. And he, he 
pulls in um, not only is his character unique, but he also does a good job with bringing some emotion into the story. And as thriller writers, the primary emotion that I think our readers feel is that suspense, edge of your seat. Um, but I think it's the mark of a real master when there's other emotions at play that uh, you can evoke in the in the reader as well. And I think Greg does a masterful job at that, which makes me want to keep, you know, going back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Characters are extremely important. Characters that the person can relate with at some level, uh, mm -hmm. feel for. Um, since your series has such a strong and capable female protagonist, have you ever thought of pitching it as a movie or a TV show? Absolutely. I'm I'm waiting for that producer to give me a call. And as a matter of fact, I tweeted Gal Gadot the other day. Well, not her, but I, I put a tweet out to my followers saying, who else thinks Gal Gadot would make a ma great Maddie Marshall? I think she would just be fantastic. So if anybody out there knows Gal Gadot, uh, please put us in touch. I think she'd be great. All right. Sounds good to me. Um, who would you picture playing Will and Bear? Oh, you know, um, Bear, I kind of picture as a really young Bruce Willis. Hmm. You know, he's he's got that stocky shoulders and um, and and Will, I don't know. I, I, I'd let the casting director pick that one. He's, he and Maddie are both tall. They both have dark hair. Hers starts out long and then she has to cut it. And so it's been growing. His is kind of, you know, messy, curly, and they both have a little bit of olive skin because of their Spanish heritage. Um, and he's got, you know, beautiful, beautiful white teeth, big, big ornery smile. So I would let the casting director figure out who, who Will, who Will would be. Hmm. Ryan Gosling? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I like Somebody Ryan that Gosling. looks a little bit like Gal Gadot, you know, because they need to be twins. So maybe Gal Gadot's right. brother. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Um, you've already mentioned a few authors that you love. Um, are there any other authors you would consider favorites? Mm. Well... I was just thinking about um, uh, the Cemetery Forgotten Books. Have you read that one? That no. He's got four series, Spanish author, died recently. Um, I'll think of it probably later. Um, but his that Cemetery of the Forgotten Books series, uh, Ruiz. Carlos Ruiz Zafron is a fantastic exercise in atmosphere. It's set in Barcelona back during the war and just filled with uh, smoky cigarettes and fog and old decaying buildings and dark nights. And he just does an amazing job of you know, building the suspense through atmosphere fantastic and he brings in just a little bit of you know the fantastic kind of like i do um and he he did a, just a wonderful job with that series he had stories within stories i think there were four books total some of them took place at different times during the war um the last one was great he brought in a female protagonist and uh it was 
very, very well done. And unfortunately, he passed away, I think, last year. Hmm. Carlos Ruiz Zafron and the Cemetery of Forgotten Books. I would recommend that series. I'll definitely have to check those out. Is there anything else you'd like to add that I haven't asked you about? Oh, I would just like to tell people that my books are available in audio and um, they're, you can ask for them at your local retailer or get them online. And for people who just kind of want to check them out, the first six chapters are free on my website. And if you can't remember how to spell my name, uh, vanops.net refers over to avantisentre.com. So if you just want to check out those first six chapters, go to vanops.net. All right. Well, I'm so glad you were on today. Thank you so much, Avanti. Thank you for hosting, Debbie. It's been a pleasure. Same here. Thanks. Um, remember, everyone, that the Crime Cafe is Patreon-supported. And uh, for bonus content and early access to the podcast, among other things, you can become a patron. Um, check out the Patreon page on my website, debbiemack.com. And our next episode will feature Philip Thompson. Until next time, uh, happy holidays, take care, and happy reading.